Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Get rid of your credit card debt, get a lower monthly payment, and skip your next two house payments at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to save thousands with savewithconrad.com. Find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. Words are about to be spoken here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, presented to you by the ad-free shows and podcast Heat Networks. I'm John Alba, joined as I am every single week by the broken one, the woken one, the spoken one himself, Mr. Matt Hardy. You're going to give me a little RVD? A little, uh, no, it's Matt. just in the front. I have seen a lot more RVD lately, but Dude. it's just it's me. It's not really M-M-H. It's just <laughs> me. Dude, I'm like on a big RVD kick right now. Even researching for this episode here today, yeah, RVD had a match on that show, and he was just so freaking over at that time. It's actually crazy, and yeah. I'm a big RVD guy. Go check out RVD's podcast with our friend Dom D'Angelo as well, and uh, it's entitled One of a Kind, appropriately for Rob. One of a Kind! <laughs> Great theme song, right? Yeah. Big time theme. How are you, man? Another late recording for us here past midnight as we hit the record button. A long, long day for you. I know not just Dynamite and Rampage, but uh, this morning as we record this, you laid to rest your friend Wyndham Rotunda, Bray Wyatt, as we spoke about him last week. Is there anything you'd like to share from what must have been a pretty tough day, I'd imagine? Yeah, it, it was a tough day. Um, it's been a long day. I started very early. Myself and Rebecca, we went to Tampa last night and stayed there. We caught the last flight out. And then this morning we got up and we ended up going to the service. And I'm so happy we were able to make it. It was postponed because of the hurricane stuff a little later. But I was really, really happy we got to make it. And, man, it was tough. It was sad. It was strange. It was weird. Um, I just, my heart is shattered for his family. You know, some of them spoke and just, I can't imagine the, the grief that they're going through. It's just so hard to understand how someone 36 years old dies. You know, someone that you know and who you assumed was very, very healthy. It's just hard to understand i feel like it would be easier if it was more understandable in some ways and he leaves behind four kids two very very young which is 
just heartbreaking as well, especially having four kids myself. I just, I can't even imagine because uh, the younger ones, I'm sure they don't comprehend it, how they're going to, you know, be affected by it as they get older. It's just all that is just so heartbreaking. And one of the weirdest things is that there were several AEW guys that attended the service, but just like almost the whole WWE there. And it was so crazy to see everybody like this, this gathering and, to get everybody in one room and to like exchange pleasantries with everybody. It's just so sad that we were like reunited everybody in those circumstances. Very, very weird. But it was, uh, it, it, it was an important moment to let him know as not only my friend, but someone I worked with and my tag team partner, someone I really, really liked a lot. Someone I had lots of, lots of love for, to to be there and and let him know I was there, you know, for his ceremony, that when he passed away, and just to honor him and celebrate his life. That's what that's what it was all about today. I know you said that it was a very strange feeling being reunited with a lot of those people, but you know when we grieve, I, I don't want to say it feels nice, but it, it certainly feels somewhat assuring when you're surrounded by people who you share that love and you share that affection for that individual. And it might, it, it must have been somewhat consoling to be around people who you've been surrounded by for years and seeing them for the first time in a long time. Was it not? Yeah. I mean, it, there was a massive turnout for this, which really speaks volumes about Wyndham's character and how much he was loved. Uh, so yeah, it, it was nice. It's just, it's just unfortunate that right. it was those circumstances you right. know, more, more than anything, you know, because there's, I, I feel like there's a part of you, you feel guilty that you're enjoying right. times spending, you enjoy spending time with someone that you were friends with. And, and the, 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 the crazy insane thing about pro wrestling is if you work with someone from years and, and, and you travel with them on the road, you know, you see them so much and so often and you, you form this great bond with these people. And then like you can leave and go away for four years, five years, and then you come back and it's like you never stop seeing each other all the time. You know, you pick up right where you left off. And that's something that is very, very amazing about the the whole art of professional wrestling in the industry, especially the time, the amount of time you spend with these people and, and the bonds you you build with them as time goes on. So it, it was, it was comforting, I would say, to to see these people and have them there because you know they're, you know, all sad as well. And they're all they're all go, going through it and they're all grieving and, and mourning the loss of our friend. And, you know, it was really a time to, to be there to celebrate the celebration of his life. Yeah. And it's a life just, I mean, it's been two weeks almost now. And it's just a life still unfathomably gone far too soon just far too soon and i am glad that circumstantially you guys were able to make the travel work and you were able to get down there and I, I, it's my understanding that a bunch of the AEW people then headed up to dynamite after that yes yeah and also a, a big shout out to to tony he took care of everybody really good he sent a jet down there carried all the AEW talents up to TV in Indianapolis and uh, was very grateful for that and definitely appreciated him once again, just showing how good hearted of a human being he is. And, you know, he really made it work out so that everyone that wanted to attend could attend. It's been a, 
crazy week for Tony in his own right, uh, given all the big news and then the all out pay-per-view after that. What's the vibe right now with Tony and, and the locker room coming out of a big show like that and some of these changes going on? Uh, very positive. Today was extremely positive. I was at the at the pay-per-view at All Out because there were talks of us possibly having a match or talks of us possibly doing a couple of things. And it ended up we weren't needed for it, so we were able to, to get home actually Sunday night. But I watched the majority of the show, and like I, I just was so proud of everyone on the roster. I mean, they killed it. They, they busted their ass. They went out there. They just worked so hard. They were so entertaining. It was such a good show, even though it was, you know, put together, you know, for like in the last week or whatever. But it was still a, a killer show and like what a fantastic pro wrestling show. And the, the vibe was great there that day. Uh, the vibe at Dynamite and people doing Rampage Day was was great as well. And it's uh, I think AEW is is very healthy and I think they're in a positive place. I want to talk about Brian Danielson for a second. I was blown away by how he has stepped up both in character and as an authority figure almost within AEW as someone who is trusted a confidant of Tony Khan. And I was watching the press conference, which was in the aftermath of that insane mm -hmm. strap match he had with Ricky right. Starks. It feels to me as an observer like Brian Danielson is really becoming one of the true pillars to the foundation of AEW. Uh, what can you say about him and the role that he's playing right now for the company? Uh, Brian, uh, Brian Danielson's great. Uh, I can't say enough positive, good things about him. I mean, since he's, since he's come in, he has been the role model and the teacher that you want because he's very understanding. And if someone wants to work out, he's there to get with them. He'll be there early to work with people, whatever it may be. But he's also very level-headed. He's very calm. He has an amazing mentality. And he, he's just he, – he's he loves pro wrestling. Obviously, everyone knows that. But he is just the perfect guy to transition into a, a position of being a leader and, and, and being able to help mold younger talent. He's an exemplary – human being and exemplary talent as well. So lots of love for Brian Danielson. And that strap match that he had with Ricky Starks was just fantastic. And mm -hmm. to put that together basically on 24 hours notice was pretty surreal when all right. said and done. And I love too. he put over Ricky Starks in the press conference. He said, yeah, Ricky Starks is the reason we got through this match. I just think that's, that's how it should be done in wrestling. And that's how you pay it forward. I know though, the match that you really had your eyes on was Orange Cassidy and John Moxley for the international championship. Yeah. John Moxley wins, but a superstar making performance for the orange taker himself, freshly squeezed orange Cassidy. What was your reaction to the reception that he got in his performance in that match? I was just happy for him. I, I sat back and talked to the, to the orange taker for, 15 or 20 minutes today, whenever uh, I was just going over, like, I was so proud of him for the match, so proud that the crowd was so accepting of him, even in Chicago, where it could have potentially been, you know, they, they, they could have potentially been very rough and hostile. Uh, very, very proud of him. Like, he's just, he's such a good dude, so humble, uh, such a hard worker, such a team player, just a, a, a great human being through and through. And I'm so happy that good things come to a good person like him. 
And I think what was so crazy about it all, Matt, is it was the true culmination of this first phase, if you will, of the Orange Cassidy character. The right. four plus years of build to these little spots and these little moments in his game. You know, the, the soft kicks. You posted the video of you and him having your little uh, yeah. trading kicks and money and deletes. Uh, th that was paid off in it. The fire-ups were paid off. And John Moxley, who's just this end boss in AEW right now, you know, first right. ballot Hall of Famer, was just too much for him. But the crowd paying it forward with the respect, I thought it was so amazing. And now he has a catchphrase that isn't a catchphrase over, which I think right. is just amazing. So we'll see. Maybe he'll have to reach into the Matt Hardy book of reinvention now as he turns the page into this next chapter. I mean, he already has, too. You've got to look at that promo he did, you know, the the go-home promo he did for that deal. It was so incredible. And just and I asked him if it felt weird, and he said, yeah, of course of course it did. But, you know, like he he, he killed it, and that's, that's what it is. It's the next evolution of Orange Cassidy and where the character ends up going. So, yeah, very, very happy and proud of him. Yeah, well, you know we're big fans here, the Orange Taker on the Extreme Life of Matt yeah. Hardy. And uh, I also want to know your thoughts on the newest style of pro wrestling that AEW introduced this past week, meat style between <laughs> Will Hobbs and Miro. Uh, totally something out of left field. Uh, what's What are your takes on meat style? Are you willing Kudo to... Shot down. Kudo shot down. <laughs> For creativity, I give you a five, cinco, five, cinco, five-star rating. Great creativity. Are, are you willing to get in on meat style? Uh, yeah, delete the meat. There was actually a sign there tonight that said delete the meat. Ooh, I like They're that. They're following up on that. I just like need these that. big meaty men just slapping meat. Ugh. There is a time and a place, and I am usually all about those types of matches. Really fantastic stuff. I thought I thought it was a very, very good pay-per-view. And it was the kind of show that you know, AEW really needed, for sure, uh, coming out of mm -hmm. some of the chaos that preceded it. Uh, also, big shout-out and thank you to our girl, Katie. You finally got a chance to say hi to Katie in Chicago last week, ringside. I know you I made did. her life. And it turns out she's a big celebrity now at the doggy <laughs> daycare center. So uh, big yeah. shout out there. I know you, you love, we love you in this house, Katie. What, what, what do we say? The best friends, you got to give the people what they want, right? Got to give the people what they want. Yeah. I love seeing that. Love seeing that Matt Hardy. We have a very interesting topic at hand today. We are talking about the SmackDown after September 11th, 2001, as we approach the 22-year memorial of the 9-11 attacks, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about here, and this very, very unique presentation of SmackDown that WWE did that night. But before we can get to that, you know what I got to ask. Please hit us with that Matt fact. Mad fact, Matt once drove straight from Houston to Cameron. I assume this was in the aftermath of that show. Oh, yeah, it's a hell of a story I'll get into. Oh, okay. for sure. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing it. I guess we can rewind the clocks back to September 10th, 2001, WWE is in the middle of the invasion angle. 
Kurt Angle, just freshly turned baby face. It's thrown off a stage by Steve Austin on Monday Night Raw. Big angle, big time feud between them. They're setting up a championship pay-per-view match in Pittsburgh shortly after that at Unforgiven 2001. Where did you feel the company was in September of 2001 as far as the stories being told into the latter parts of the invasion angle? Um, I remember business was still moving along pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I remember it had not every house was sold out and we thought, oh my God, that might be majorly problematic. But like little did we know things would change much drastically, much more drastically following 9-11. But I, I think we were in a good place and business was still rocking and rolling. Uh, every show we'd have would be if not sold out, nearly sold out or really, really good. And the crowds were still red hot and they were still treating the wrestlers like rock stars at that time. It was, regardless of what people want to say, the invasion angle, we know it flopped in the long run, but it was still intriguing. And it was in, in the bubble. It was, it was hot at the time because there still were these dream matches that were on the table. Were the talent in the locker room cognizant of how this story was being received by people uh, in terms of expectations versus reality? I mean, I think the majority of the talent, myself included, I think we hoped that WCW would end up having its own show. There'd be a WWE show, you know, there, there'd be a true separation where it didn't seem like, okay, well now WWE owns WCW and ECW. So now they're just going to clash on WWE program, you know, we're hoping they could be like a, a really definitive split between those brands. And then I think we realized Vince just got frustrated. He couldn't get the TV time or what, whatever the issue was. I, I don't know. I can't speak on it, but I, I know at one point he couldn't get a separate WCW show and he's just like the hell with it. We're all, we're going everything on, on WWF programming, WWE programming, and we'll just have WWF versus Alliance. And that's what our program is going to be going forward. And that was kind of like, we knew that was going to be like, oh, you know, that that had a, a pretty short shelf life, I think. You know, we, we just hope there could have been some really solid definitive splits between yeah. WWE and WCW at that time. Vince McMahon during this period of time is a baby face on TV with Stephanie and Shane being the heels, the leaders of the alliance. Uh, one of the few times that Vince as a character was a baby face. And I bring this up because going to play a little bit of a role in what we're going to talk about later on this podcast but what did you think of vince's portrayal of himself as a baby face uh interesting you know especially <laughs> after doing you know brett screwed brett and the evil mr mcmahon because you know that that was peak vince mcmahon so he, he still at the end of the day the wrestling fans had a lot of respect for him because he gave them this crazy you know, pro wrestling love for WWE, you know, so they really did, they really did respect him. So even if he was a babyface, I don't think he excelled at being a babyface like he did as being Mr. McMahon, you know, the, the hill, but, but wrestling fans would still have respect for him. Do you think Vince was a babyface in his own mind at this time? Mm, I think in Vince's mind, he was always a babyface. I think Vince <laughs> has always been a babyface in his mind. <laughs> I, don't know. I think there's some people who would argue he enjoys being 
being a heel in real life too a little bit well, well maybe so i mean but i feel like he's like well deep down i'm the best you know i mean <laughs> sure i can get nasty if i need to if i'm pushed into an environment or a situation or a scenario where i need to be uh, a badass heel i can be but deep down i'm i'm the baby face I am feeling so freaking antsy because the NFL season is finally here. Can you believe that we've had seven months without an NFL game? It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? Well, good thing that's all over because the NFL is here and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just five bucks on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Just check the app to see what you get. Download now and use code HARDY to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting five bucks. That's Code Hardy, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. And you know, you know that we are intently in on our king of the mountain college football and NFL picks competition with some of our co-podcasters. Matt and I went two and one last week. Here's what we're betting this week, okay? Follow along. Utah minus eight over Baylor. Notre Dame minus 7.5 over NC State and over in the NFL. The Saints don't lose at the Superdome. Saints minus three over Titans. That's Code Hardy only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-N. E N Y or text H O P E N Y four six seven three six nine. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call eight 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 seven eight nine seven 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 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, KS twenty one plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. C D K N G dot co slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply hey hey it's conrad thompson here to tell you a little more about what adfreeshows.com is all about get early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week starting at just nine bucks that's less than 20 cents an episode each month and yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-Free Shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like Title Chase, Eric Fires Back, Conversations with Conrad, and The Insiders. Plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early, you can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch alongs, Q and A's and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered. 
that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today. And Hey, when you do the first week is completely free adfreeshows.com. Curious what the locker room thought of that at that time and place, but that's a question for another day. I'm sure we'll do something that is a deep dive on the invasion angles culmination at Survivor Series 2001 in that crazy cage match you guys had with the Dudley boys. Um, mm-hmm. But we're rocking and rolling here. And then the world changes. September 11th, 2001. It's a Tuesday morning. And it's pretty surreal, Matt, that there are grown young adults out there who were not alive for this and not mm-hmm. or or they were really young and they weren't cognizant of the severity of everything that happened that day. Right. I feel like all of us have experienced that. Where were you when moment with September 11th for those of us who were cognizant of it? So I guess I'll ask you, I would assume that you were at that Monday Night Raw the night before. You were probably headed to Houston for SmackDown. What can you tell us about when you found out what was transpiring? Yeah, we had had uh, an appearance. So the company actually paid for our rental car for this loop. So we'd work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, And then we had TV on Monday. I want to say maybe the appearance was Friday. We had a pretty long loop. And then we had uh, TV Monday, obviously. We did that. And then we drove the next day because we had to do SmackDown, too, because we were uh, we were definitely on both shows at that time, too, I feel like. And I feel like maybe everybody was. I don't know. Had they done a split? They, they hadn't done the split yet, and Raw was in San Antonio that night. Yeah, I, I 100% know, know that we drove Monday night. We got in very late. And then uh, I was sleeping. I was in the bed Tuesday morning. And uh, my phone rang, and a lot of times then I would get wake-up calls. So I was like, oh, maybe that's the wake-up call. But Shane said, Matt, you got to get up. You got to turn on the TV. A plane just crashed into a building. I said, okay, man, I'll talk to you later, and I hung up. And then he called right back in and said, no, Matt, like my girlfriend just called me, and a plane just went to the World Trade Center. You, you got to see this, man, because they, they don't know what the deal is. They don't know what's going on. And then I remember turning on the TV on the phone with Shane Helms, and uh, – the second plane ended up hitting very shortly thereafter. And then we're just like, what the fuck? And, and the biggest thing I remember is that we were, I don't even remember what hotel it was, but I was on the 27th floor and I was just like, Jesus Christ, are they going to do this in Houston? I mean, what, what is going on? I mean, we just, we realized then that like America was under attack and that was, that was horrifying, obviously. Were all of the talent and the people there for the company congregating together at any point? Most people were there. That was the TV hotel where a lot of people would pay for their rooms at the TV hotel, but we'd had an appearance. So we had our rooms taken care of for the loop. So, uh, and also a rental car that was paid for too, which I'll, that'll play into the story later. But we had a rental car, hotels paid for. We were the TV hotel. And Shane was also at the TV hotel then. And uh, I remember we were waiting, like, what is going to happen? Because we have SmackDown. Like, and this was, you know, it's happened at what, nine, 10 o'clock is when the planes hit the building, right? Yeah, in the morning, yep. Early in the morning. 
you know, and then like, you know, our call time is, you know, noon, one o'clock, you know, I know we're on central time in Houston. Uh, we're just like, what is going on about the show? And we're, we're trying to find out. And then there was a company wide email and they were texting people, whatever. And they said, we're not sure what we're going to do. Just everybody stand by, everybody stand by. We'll have you an answer by this afternoon. So we didn't know if the show was a go, whatever. And then obviously everything shut down. So the show was not a go. And then they said, okay, we're going to get back with you. And we just, I remember me and Jeff, we just wanted to drive home. Mm. I just wanted to get home and be with my, be with my dad, be with my family. Like, cause we didn't know. And everybody was like that. Shane was like, no, nobody knew what was happening or what was coming. And how, just for clarification, just for everyone listening, he's referring to Shane Helms, not Shane McMahon. Just for everyone listening for yeah. context there. Yes, uh, this is Shane Helms. Maybe I'll even say Hurricane going forward. Um, but we, everybody want to go home. Uh, Hurricane want to go home. I want to go home. Jeff want to go home. Everybody just want to get home at this point. And uh, I remember we got texts from everyone. I want to say Mark Rano, uh, Johnny Ace, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but we got a text saying, everyone, we're going to extend the booking of the room. We're going to stay around and do SmackDown Live on Thursday. And I remember everybody first was like, what? We have to stay here? We can't go home? And I remember it was very shocking. It was extremely jarring in the beginning. And uh, oof, that was a, that was a long two days in Houston, Texas. Now, I, I want to rewind a little bit here. So it all happens. There's so I, I think this is necessary context for people. There was so much uncertainty at the time. Nobody really had any clue in real time just exactly what was happening. Did you guys fear for your safety as, I mean, you guys are fairly famous individuals at the time too, all congregated in this spot together. I don't. I don't even think it had anything about us being famous individuals or people that were celebrities. I, I think everyone feared for their safety. I mean, because now you just had two planes crash into the World Trade Center, and you have thousands of people that are dead. And obviously, it was very abundantly clear that America was under attack. So yes, yeah. no one knew what was coming. Like how, how many more? How much more is going on? You know. And then we hear about, you know, the the plane. The, for the, the Pentagon and we hear about the plane that got shot down, you know, just nobody knows what's happening. You know, you have these four planes and like, I mean, who knows what are, are they doing Houston tomorrow? Right. Are they, are, are they doing Los Angeles tomorrow? I mean, who, who knows? I mean, it was just it was so uncertain and, and just one of the weirdest times. And I remember just thinking like, Oh my God, this is just one of the most weird insecure feelings I've ever had just being under attack and, and not knowing what is going to happen. Because, like, you know, in my lifetime, up to that point, I'd never seen anything like that. Of course. Uh, I was watching the WWE documentary about this episode of SmackDown, and Devon specifically mentioned that a bunch of the talent tried to go out that morning to get a bite to eat, and it was a total ghost town. Everything was completely shut down, even in the immediate hours after, and there weren't any cars on the road, and places weren't open. Do you have any recollections of that? It, it was. I, I do remember there was nobody out. I just felt like people were at home with their loved ones. <clears throat> people were at home with their loved ones, and they were just unsure. They were unsure about what was next. 
how much did that hurt or how difficult was it to be so far away from your family in those moments? It was, uh, it, it was, tra- we just, we, we wanted to be back with our dad and make sure he was okay. And we just wanted to be home. I feel like there was, I feel like most people just, they just wanted to be home. You know, mm-hmm. there'd been this terrible tragedy you know, this terrorist attack, people just wanted to be home with their loved ones. They wanted to be home where they felt at their most safest. And, you know, we, we weren't able to do that. Your dad was a pretty rugged and tough individual. What do you remember his reaction to everything being that was going on? Uh, he was just saying, I remember him saying, I hope you guys can get back here soon. I hope you guys can get back here soon. And then it was at a point where I, I want to say, Maybe it was the the next day, maybe even Thursday that they said that they thought they were going to open up the airplane, the airports again, like Friday or Saturday at the latest. Um, and just we'd already said, like, dude, as soon as we, if we stick around to the show, and as soon as we do the show, we're like getting out of here and driving home. And uh, and they they the rental car was on the company. Credit card, and we didn't care what it was going to cost. I was I was driving that right. car home. I'd already made up my mind that Tuesday. As soon as that show was over, I was driving that back to Cameron. We'll get to that in a second. Um, it's it's interesting. A lot of kids my age, I was eight and turning nine, something like that at the time. You're Most Maxwell's. kids, what's that? You're Maxwell's age. I yeah, I was Maxwell's age, just a little bit older. And most kids are in school, right? It's September 11th. You just started the school year and all that. Growing up in New Jersey. Well, this just happens to be the one day that I just happened to have a specialist doctor's appointment in New York City. About 15 blocks from the World Trade Center. Um, of of all days, right? To be out of school, just happened to have that day scheduled, and um, we were. I remember we were supposed to go to. We were supposed to go to WWF New York after my dad and I were going to go for lunch. Oh, wow. He was, was going to take me there. I was so excited, and then we were going to go to the Yankee game that night. It was supposed to be like a good day, and I just remember being in my dad's office which again not terribly far from ground zero and hearing one of his co-workers rush in and say a plane crashed into the trade center and expletives go down i remember hearing one of the towers go down and, and like you're eight years old. Imagine how impressionable something like that is on you, right? And at one point, you know, we, we hunkered down in the office. And then at one point that day, there was a loud crash outside the street that we were on. It was probably just some construction material or whatever. But I remember everyone thought it was a bomb. So I remember being scooped up, rushed downstairs, and sprinting down these New York City streets among chaos as a kid 
And that day, I remember we took the bus in, but all the buses were shut down. They opened up trains halfway through, so we managed to get a train. And there was so much chaos in Penn Station. A man with a briefcase ran into me and barreled into my head with this briefcase. And I actually have a small scar on that still from my forehead from that day. But every small detail is just embedded in my brain. Yeah. Those days leave so much of an impact on you. And um, I remember uh, kudos to my dad. He really did all he could to make it up for me. And I remember we did go to WDF New York. And I think I've told you I, th- at that day, that's where I bought my first ever WWF t-shirt, which was the neon green and purple Hardy Boys t-shirt. So right. uh, it was a little mark back then, but it, it put a smile on on my face after what had been a, a very traumatic day for not just someone like me, but for many children out there, I'd imagine. And it's just, isn't it crazy how you remember these things so viscerally? Oh yeah. So, and just extremely vividly, like being on the 27th floor is just something that is so odd or peculiar, but I, I'll never forget that Yeah, because I remember thinking like, Oh my God, I'm very high up as well in a building. Like what if, what if it's the yeah. first thing that goes through your mind because we were all so unsure. Uh, my wife, Rebby, for instance, she was, you know, in high school, whatever, getting ready to go into high school. Uh, and her school had shut down and there was nothing there and she couldn't get in contact with her folks. She had to walk home. She walked home in the middle of all this chaos, which once again, what a jarring, indelible moment. And memory walking home yeah in the midst of the terror attacks crazy it is crazy and as everyone's trying to process what's happening you guys are there together as talent do you remember talent leaning on each other at all or, or what was the vibe like among the talent in that immediate aftermath we did we there was a, a point in time where everyone got together later that afternoon in the hotel or just, I, I think we were eating. I don't know if we necessarily got together, but like everyone was kind of down in the restaurant. We were eating, doing whatever. And then that night we actually, there was a club that had some dancers in it too. Wasn't necessarily a half-ass strip club, but it had dancers and whatnot. And the whole crew almost went over to this club that next night and I'll never forget, that's where Shane Helms had his first drink. That's the, where he had his first, drank his first beer, uh, got a little tuned up for the night and turned up, uh, which which was wild, something he didn't do. And uh, guys were putting each other in wrestling moves, and, and we were just cutting up, being trying to have a good time, trying to like have some sort of semblance of, of normality. And I remember that was just such a unifying moment, just all being out there at that that bar slash club uh, and, and just having the crew together and like everybody like escaping from the true reality of we suffered a terrorist attack today to actually like winding down a little bit and like having fun. And that 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 did a lot to heighten morale at that time. Football season is underway. We are headed to the dog days of the Major League Baseball season. College football's rocking and rolling. 
it is a great time to be catching live sporting events or music or theater or whatever it may be. And our friends over at Game Time want to help you out because buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. And with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have all with our pals over at Game Time. All you got to do is download the Game Time app and you can browse through any event that's happening in your area. You'll find images of seat views with a lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and so many other features that make Game Time the go to place for purchasing tickets. My favorite thing about Game Time is I'm a very spontaneous guy. Sometimes I decide to do things at the last minute, and I'm all about that hashtag treat yourself life. And with Game Time, you're going to get the best deals on last-minute tickets right up to the moment of the event. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So here's what you got to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code HARDY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code HARDY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's just so crazy. Like... It's like you're so desperate to feel something mm. normal. You're so desperate. You just you want that so bad. And uh, I mean, it's I mean, like you just said, Shane having his first drink. It's like, please make me feel something, which is just yeah. so difficult to rectify. So is is anyone in direct communication with Vince specifically, or are they? red alert closed doors trying to figure out the game plan here i mean i I just i know we were informed on that tuesday that we were going to go live on tv on thursday because the building was willing to allow us to do it then so that 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 was definitely set on tuesday and everybody was kind of like oh i i want to say that's when we learned we were definitely gonna have to stick around till thursday i think that's when everybody got together and tried to go out and just like escape reality for a little bit so WWE, the, the upper brass creative and Vince trying to make this happen on Thursday instead. And they, they take it to the city of wanting to do it. And there are some proponents of it and there are people against it. And Mattress Mac, who is a local Houston celebrity, he's a massive, massively influence, influential figure in Houston. He runs a furniture emporium there. Uh, he really went to bat for WWE. He had, he had done a lot of work with WWE over the years in promotion, and he went to bat with WWE to the local government to try to make this happen on the Thursday night and do a live broadcast after that. Um, and it, it apparently didn't get actually cleared until about Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night. So you're saying on Tuesday they gave you guys a heads up that our plan is to do this show? Yes. Everybody was ordered. <laughs> Everyone was asked. Everyone was asked very sternly to stay until Thursday. That's when we were going to do SmackDown and we are going to do it live. What was the reaction to that? Every, I mean, most people wanted to be home. I know I I want to be home. I, I wanted nothing more than to be home. 
and feel safe. It's stark. Because it, it almost draws comparisons in a weird way to the COVID situation. Where the whole world is shutting down. But for some forsaken reason, pro wrestling isn't. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I can tell you one one way it differed from the COVID situation. There was a sellout whenever we went there Thursday. Like everybody came out too. Like they didn't. There there was no fear, and that that was a, a pretty powerful statement to the performers as well. You know that everybody showed up. I mean, I you know pro wrestling just the show must go on, especially when television rights became a bigger deal. I mean, that's just that that's kind of like the professional wrestler mentality. You know, guys are in a ring and they would get hurt, but, you know, the match must go on. The show must go on. You know, regardless of what happens, the show must go on. And that's just kind of like, you know, that was the mindset behind pro wrestling forever. And it was certainly the mindset there. And it was also certainly the mindset through throughout the COVID pandemic as well. But why does the show have to go on? Like you just mentioned TV rights. Every other major league sport shuts down at this time most for several weeks the nfl had just kicked off its season the nfl tv rights are far larger than pro wrestling's and even back then they were and yet they're shutting down the major league baseball season is headed to the playoffs they're they're right near the playoffs they shut down college football and ncaa sports shut down so why is it that pro wrestling of all things and WWE specifically, why them? Why are they the ones to trudge through? WWE and pro wrestling in general is just a different animal. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. I <laughs> just... And that's, that's also Vince McMahon. I mean, Vince McMahon, he wanted the show to go on. He wanted the show to happen. He didn't want to change the schedule. He wanted to go, 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 go. That's his mentality. And and that's he was our leader, and everyone was going to follow his lead. So that's what I want to own in on. Because I think this whole story here revolves around Vince McMahon, ultimately. He mentioned in that documentary that I was referring to that he saw George Bush's speech the night of 9-11 and was inspired to get back to work and that the World Wrestling Federation had to lead the way on that. And it became his goal to be the first mass public assembly of people since the attacks in the United States. Which it was. And it was. I guess my question to that is, did Vince McMahon do this show, in your opinion, because he wanted the bragging rights of being able to say, we're the first ones, look at us? Or 
did he really genuinely believe at his heart that the World Wrestling Federation was providing an escape and entertainment for people? I mean, I I I would say both of those answers. Okay. I, I would say both of those things. And I mean, plus I just he's Vince is a fearless human being, you know, he wasn't afraid of stuff. Even the South, I mean, like there were so many people that were just worried, like, if we're the first big public gathering, does that make us a target? You know, I I I felt like that. It was very strange. I was very concerned and worried during that day. You know, but Vince Vince had his mind made up. He was like, nobody stops me. Nobody stops World Wrestling Entertainment. And we're going to do the show, damn it. So prior to the event, give me a percentage, if you can, of the locker room that was more or less against running this show on Thursday. I, I don't I don't know. I, 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 I wasn't against running the show. And I don't know if there were people that were uh, they were given the option if you didn't want to wrestle, you didn't have to. So that was kind of optional. Uh, I, I just think we were concerned because it was still such an uncertain time. We were so unsure. We were the first big public gathering. You might have the numbers there if you didn't get. I mean, I want to say it was like upwards between. 15, 17,000. So, I mean, it was a, a, a very packed arena. I'm sure you can look that up real quick. But I just remember going out there. It was made us feel nervous. It made me feel nervous, speaking for myself. But then, like, once we came out there and they did that opening speech and then an open, opening package and we had that match, it felt right. And I'm, I'm so glad that we did do it. It felt like like some American shit. As crazy as that sounds, it does. Just like, you know, that uh, no one is going to hold us down or no one's going to stop us. 12,046 people. It was a sellout in Houston. Okay. My do, number was exaggerated. Do you remember the security being heightened? What do you remember that being like, just even trying to get into the building as a talent? Um. Y- yes, I, I. it was heightened some, but not to the degree that would happen later. I want to think. What do you know? mean by that? I, I feel like that event started a chain reaction of things. Like you, obviously, you were eight. Did you ever fly before nine eleven, John? Mm-hmm. You did. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, it was a crazy different experience. Yeah, I mean, if you have recollection of that, it's it, yeah. in it's insane how that changed things. I mean, because like you, you could literally show up at the airport. 30 minutes before your flight, you know, and, and make your flight. I mean, it just made traveling so much more time consuming and so much more difficult getting through TSA, which they had to do because, because the say the world and the way the world was changing. Um, but just, I feel like security, that was kind of like a, a moment in time where you knew things were going to change. You know, then they started having much a lot more metal detectors like they would pack. I mean, there, there were so many more searches that happened with people coming into events and wrestling, probably concerts, everything else, you know, like, but th- that it changed at that time. I feel like that day it was probably a little more strict, you know, because of what we just been through a couple of days ago, but it really was like kind of setting the pace for how things would change going forward. 
do you have any recollection of any WWE employees or talent who were directly affected by the attacks? Um, at that time? Yeah. I feel like there were some people that had family in the city that were there uh, that maybe they didn't hear from them. I, I don't know anyone that like gotcha. lost anyone, but there were some gotcha. people that were definitely worried because they haven't, you know, hadn't heard from their loved ones and their family. And it, being from that area, I can't imagine having to sit down there for two days later, you know, and, and then doing a show that's even way more extreme. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the atmosphere, what it was like once you guys got to the building and the anticipation? How did that day in terms of the preparation for the broadcast differ, if at all, from a traditional SmackDown broadcast? I, I, I don't feel like the, the setup of the day didn't really differ. It Not much changed. You know, guys knew what they were doing. Uh, we would figure out what we're going to do in the ring, our matches. We knew what order we're going to be, everything else. I just feel like once the crowd came in and we knew the show was going to start, that's when people were kind of on their, on, on their nerves because you just didn't know could another attack happen. Two days ago, they just took down the World Trade Center. You know, it's, it's just it's, – it was super – a, a, a super super strange day and just that eerie feeling day you know like is something bad gonna happen but once again after we got through that first segment and we did our match which was first uh i was so happy i did it and i was so happy i was able to be a part of that show before the show starts do you guys have a meeting with vince or anything is there like a big rah-rah speech beforehand we did i i feel like vince kind of uh you know proclaimed once again that you know we're america uh we're world wrestling entertainment you know and nobody's going to stop us from doing what we love and there's a lot of people that are going to be here tonight thirteen thousand, whatever the number was you said uh and and you know we need to go out there and give them an escape because they they, they need it too and by you doing it it's going to be quite cathartic i feel like I, I remember him saying something along those lines by you entertaining these people and helping them have an escape for a couple hours is going to also be very cathartic for you. Is that a message that the locker room is buying? Um, Vince was good at giving the rah-rah speech. Maybe not as good as Paul Heyman, but he was, he was good at giving the rah-rah speech when it was time. And, and I think, I think people were unsure about being there, but I feel like everyone who did it were glad they did at the very end. Vince opens the show. Full baby face here as Vince McMahon, not Mr. McMahon, not in a suit. He's just in a yeah. button up shirt. And he opens with this long speech about pretty much everything you just said. Fighting back, being resilient, showing the American spirit and how the stars of the World Wrestling Federation are here to entertain and provide an escape for people at that taping and at this show uh, the show by the way is not broadcast in the new york city market live it is preempted that night so it's not even going out live to the new york city market the whole notion of providing an escape i know you just said before that vince firmly believed that 
But is there a time and place for that? Because we are talking about something that happened not even a full 48 hours prior to this. Um, I want maybe, you to get your thoughts on that. I, genuinely. I, I, I mean, I can see both sides of the story. I mean, there, there's a part of me that says, yes, I do agree with, with what Vince is saying. Like, it's time for us to, like, step up and be leaders and, and go out and show people, like, life must go on. You know, we we will continue. Like, you can't let a bad incident, like, stop you. Life must go on, and we have to continue to go on, and you can't be afraid. And, I mean, I, there's there's a lot of parts of me that, like, believe that in life, too. And as far as what Vince said, as far as, like, taking time I, uh, taking time off and going home, doing, doing whatever else. Like, I just, I personally, I, uh. I, I thought Vince was Vince was okay for doing that, and I, I don't disagree with that decision. My college thesis was about the intersection of race, patriotism, and the militarization of sports. Now it's a lot to swallow here at one in the morning, as we say this, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I I just find this topic so fascinating because specifically with the militarization of sports, what I mean by that is using sports, using entertainment as this mediation tool to normalize political events or normalize nationalistic ideologies, whatever they may be. It happens outside the United States. It happens in the United States. Um, in football, what's one of the most well-known defensive terminologies? Blitz. That comes from a war term. Uh, the, the football field, we call a gridiron. Gridiron is a war term. Uh, you know, we call athletes out there, we call them warriors. Like There are all of these different war terminologies embedded within our daily sports culture and so when i hear like oh we're doing this to put smiles on faces we're using sports we're using entertainment as an outlet to mediate something that was very traumatic it's always just this really unique sociological complex that i find very very fascinating so hearing your thoughts on that as the performer as someone who was put in that position uh, it's, it's it's really fascinating to hear that. And unfortunately, you've been put in that position so many different times, Matt, from not just a, a national tragedy like this or a global pandemic, but even with the passing of your colleagues, too, over the years. Do you guys weigh that stuff as performers in the aftermath of tragedy? Um. Yeah, but I I think I think a lot of it stems from your vantage point. It's just if you understand and can process what happened to these guys and the performers, and I've seen a lot of these. I remember whenever we had the the Brody Lee tribute show, like uh, speaking with the Bucks, they were talking about like God, how hard this is and how it's difficult, and like just you'd hate to have to do this very often and it's uh it's crazy how many of those i've done or been involved in or had like a major death of someone that you've worked with over the years it's it's crazy and i i don't want to say that you feel like it becomes normal but you you do realize that sometimes it's part of the profession especially if you've been around a long time yeah you know in, in the course of 31 years some of the people you've worked with may 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 pass away 
you have things like we were talking about the whole Wyndham thing. It's just, I, I wish I could understand it and comprehend it and like make it make sense. You know, if someone lives to be 84 years old and they die and they had a good long life, I, I can comprehend that. I can understand that. And it's, you know, something that I can accept. It's hard to accept your friend that was 36 years old is past, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially with two young kids. I, I feel like the, the worst thing ever would be if you're a parent and your kid dies before you, you know, and that happened. I saw that today with his dad, Mike Rotundo, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, there's lots of stuff that process it. You have to process it. I, I feel like people in general have to process it, but you, and a lot of this is like my philosophy for life in general. Like life is not like this, good high spot the whole while through there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be bad stuff but you have to realize that bad stuff will happen and you have to learn to process it and accept it and then move on you can't like dwell in the past you can't dwell on that stuff and you have to be hopeful and optimistic that that good stuff will happen because it, it usually will if you keep your chin up and keep moving forward uh pro wrestling is just uh is that turned up to the loudest volume possible you know, you're in these extreme situations with like these crazy circumstances and, and you just have to get through it and you try and process the bad and just hope that something better is coming along down the road. And this is why I love working with you, because you're very open and talking about these very difficult things. And I think hearing those words really does provide a lot of perspective for some people as to why pro wrestlers do the things they do or you know, they end up just having to trudge through these. So I, I really respect that and your perspective. Uh, Lillian Garcia, after Vince's speech, sings the national anthem. It's the first time ever WWE has put the national anthem on a TV taping like that. And it was a very emotional moment. What do you remember about that standing on the ramp as she's singing the national anthem? It, it was a very, very emotional moment. And I remember that moment very vividly as well. Um, it, it, it felt right. Her singing that, it made me be very proud to be an American. While she was singing that, that I was there to perform, that we had a sold-out arena. And I remember in the in the, the next couple of weeks after that, I've never seen like Americans be as unified as they were. It's crazy looking back then i mean that's when like morale and like patriotism in america was at an all-time high and that's crazy it's it's crazy that it took that terrible tragedy for that to happen um but when lillian killed the national anthem it it just felt right it felt right yeah i think that was probably one of the biggest moments of her career quite frankly and when she did that and she tore the house down. I know she had really been trying to find herself as a ring announcer at the time. I feel like that really elevated her and, and her equity within the company. Is there anything you'd like to say about Lillian Garcia? I can't imagine we'd ever really bring her up very much on this podcast ever again. Uh, I, I like Lillian. Uh, I always enjoyed her company. Always very cool. Always got along great with her. Um, good people. We are in the dog days of summer. The leaves are starting to change. The weather is starting to turn. And that means your body might start aching just a little bit. So why wouldn't you want to put yourself in a position to feel your best every single day? 
how about you give that a try with AG1? Because ever since Matt Hardy and I started trying AG1 and drinking our AG1s, we have found that AG1s have become a foundational nutritional supplement delivering comprehensive nutrients for whole body health. Improve your energy, recovery, and your focus with 75 high-quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. I can't think of another daily routine that pays off as well as AG1 does. And it's why I trust this product so much, as does Matt Hardy. AG1 was created in 2010 and has helped millions of mornings begin on a healthier foundation ever since. It's not only a high-quality all-in-one solution for daily nutritional foundation, it also saves you time, confusion, and money. Each serving costs less than $3 a day. That's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And you can make sure that it's right there in your refrigerator every single day. And you don't even need it at home either because you could take it on the road with you too. If you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 and get five Cinco, five Cinco, five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com forward slash Hardy. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Hardy. Check it out. Good ring announcer too uh, by the end of her tenure there. Um, and then, yeah, here we go. The Hardy boys are the first match on the card. It's a three and a half minute tag match against Shane Helms and Lance Storm who you just posted about on Instagram this week. Shane Helms is the hurricane there. He's fresh into his hurricane gig. It's a fun, short little match, and you and Jeff get the win. Lita gets involved to cause a little distraction on the outside. Ivory's there as well, and twist of fate on Lance Storm. Swanton bomb, play the greatest hits. One, two, three. It's a short, easy match, but that feels like the type of match you want to put out there in front of a crowd who's really aching for something high energy and fun. Yes. What kind of pressure did you feel, if any at all, going out there? I don't I don't think we felt any pressure from performing. I think we just felt pressure from the state of the world and the state of America. You know, just uh it was just we were unsure. We were uncertain going out there. Like is something going to happen to us. But then going through that match and the crowd reacting as they did. And then the, the finish happens and the crowd, you could just see people that were happy and they were smiling. And I remember even talking with Jeff and Shane Helms after that. And I'm like, man, that, that might be the first time some people have smiled in, in two days. And I'm so glad they, you know, got this moment. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad they were courageous enough and brave enough to come out here. And it felt really special that everyone was brave and seemingly courageous for attending this and for us performing for everybody else performing. And it was really like a big thing. Like, yes, we are Americans and we will not die. You know, we will not quit. We, we will not stop. It just showed a lot of resilience and perseverance by everyone. I thought. Did it feel a little extra comforting being in there with Shane specifically, you know, one of your best friends? Yeah. And Lance as well. Shane and Lance were, both great. So yeah, it was it was great being with them. We'd work with them a lot. Uh, we could we could have had a great match, a great short match with those guys in our sleep, you know. So it, it was great being with them. And the rest of the night goes off pretty much without a hitch. It's a good show. Then the the crowd actually gets rewarded with a dark match of Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. Vince puts that out there, and that's that's the way they get to go home. So it's it's a big big uh, big night 
in terms of rewarding the fans for being there. One of the things I want to ask you about, <laughs> they did superstar testimonials during this show. And there were a lot of very interesting ones. Some you could perhaps argue were a little emotionally charged, so much so that close to half of them get removed for the replay, including those in the New York City market. One of them being uh, Stephanie McMahon's, where she begins the testimonial by mentioning how the U.S. government and media had attacked her father for years as a result of the steroid trial. And now America was under attack and now they need to bond together like the McMahons did. This is totally bizarre watching it back were you ever asked to do a testimonial for this and did you have any thoughts on any of those i i ended up doing a testimonial and i want to say it like aired on line or something like that they they did they said if everybody you know if, if you want to do one feel free to um and and i i did do one that i aired online somewhere i think just just very simple and mine was m- more or less like uh, very much rah rah, you know. We're America. We will overcome. We will persevere, and we, you know, life life will go on. Just very apropos for the McMahon cut of cloth to have a testimonial like that. It's it's pretty cringe watching it back, but yeah, it was you know it was different. <laughs> it was definitely different. Stephanie was a lot younger than too, so I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but all in all, it's a pretty successful night. And you guys continue to run TV going forward after that. What was the feeling as the show went off the air? Everybody was happy. There there was a lot of glee, I think, in the, in the locker room. Everybody was happy we did it. It, it felt right. Uh, it felt like, as Vince would say, we put a lot of smiles on faces. And that was uh, that was something that made all of us feel good. And you genuinely felt that way? I did. I did. I, I was really, after doing it and looking back now, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do it, and I'm I'm happy that I did do it, that I that I was willing to do it. So tell us what happens afterwards. You just said you want to get back to Cameron as quick as possible. So after the show, we showered up, cleaned up, and I remember we were going to drive all the way back to North Carolina. That was the plan. It was myself, it was Jeff, it was Shane Helms, and it was Lita. So we all cleaned up, we got in our car and everybody else was driving too. And I remember as we leave, there was a caravan of like 12 to 15 cars of all town. And I just remember going I-10, go I-10 East. And we were just all driving. And I just remember as we were driving, there would be times where if someone had to go up North, you would see like one of the cars exit off to the right. But the majority of people drove all the way to, I want to say like Mobile is where we got to. And there's a road that forks off and like goes up towards Atlanta and North Carolina and everything else. And I'll never forget whenever we left and like Edge and Christian and somebody else from the Tampa area was with us. And like we're beeping horns at each other. Like, all right, see you guys. Like be safe. And I'll never forget. Like I'd start driving out of Houston and I was driving and we were getting there. And Shane said, hey, man, um, do you want me to you want me to drive for a little while? Are you tired? Do you want to try and sleep a little bit? And I remember I was already in my head. I had made up my mind. I am driving all the way back to Cameron. I am driving to our house right now. And I'm not going to stop. 
And then I remember John Shane said, nah, man, I'm good. I said, I feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to drive. Right. So then I keep going. We do the deal. We get like by Atlanta, starting to get into South Carolina. And then like Jeff and Shane, they go, Hey man, you want us to drive? Like you've been driving a long time. It's been like, you know, 10 hours or 11 hours, 12 hours, whatever it was. I want to say it was like a 16 hour drive, but when it was all said and done, I said, you've been driving for like 11 or 12 hours. Do you, do you want us to drive? And I was like, no, I don't. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I've got the window down. I'm good. And I was like delusional, but I was angry. I had my mind like, if I, I have to drive this car home, nothing's going to stop me. I, my mind was made up. My mind was set. I was driving this car to home and nobody was going to stop me. So we get back and like Shane's like, uh, hey, should we go to the Raleigh rental place? And I just drive straight to the Hardy compound. <laughs> and I drive straight to the house. And I like say, all right, you you guys be safe. And me and Jeff get out. And then like at that point, Lita lived in Sanford, which is 20 minutes away. And Shane's like an hour away. And Shane was just like, what the fuck, man? Fuck me. I was like, hey, man, Shane, just I drove all the way here. Just take this car back, please. Uh, yeah. So I, I just drove all the way and then I just got out. And then I went uh, I, I went in my room and crashed. It was the next afternoon, afternoon the next day. But I was I was a I was a raving lunatic because I had it I had my mom made up my mom was set I was gonna drive home and nobody was gonna stop me. And you know what you said to Shane after that you said that is for getting the keys locked out of the car that one time many years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I just remember like we're there and I just like pulled in and I like I just get out of the car I don't even say anything and I just I look back and Shane's going, huh? What the fuck? All right, man. You can, you can take this car home. Just take it back to the airport. I was is done. It, is it possible he may have even said, "What's up with that?" He may. I, he was too angry to say, "What's up with that?" <laughs> he, there, there was no comedy in that moment. He was. He was angry. <laughs> so delusional, Matt Hardy made it home okay. Delusional, Matt Hardy. Yeah, he drove. I want to say it was like close to. It's like a, a sixteen-hour drive yeah. from Houston back to Cameron. I was just driving like a maniac. Is delusional Matt Hardy the next version of Matt Hardy that we haven't met yet? No, I mean you're probably talking to delusional Matt Hardy right now. I've been up since, say. you know, I mean, six forty-five a.m. According to Reddit, you're delusional Matt Hardy every week on this podcast, so it's fine. Oh, okay, good. Well, Reddit, <laughs> they led me there. The FIs, baby, they everywhere. <laughs> there you have it. We know that. Hey, listen, I appreciate your open and, uh, and honesty and transparency. In talking about this this difficult stuff and and our thoughts, even all these years later, uh, go out to everyone who was affected by that just horrible, horrible, tragic day. And many years later, still affecting people, of course. Is there anything else you'd like to add here? Uh, one, one thing I would like to say is that um, two and a half, probably two and a half weeks after the actual 9-11 tapings happened, we were in New York. I'm sure you could look up that day or whatever. Uh, it, two and a half is three weeks later. And I actually went with some of the crew. We went down to ground zero and it was insane, man. Uh, we, we met some of the first responders. We met people that had been working there for a couple weeks, you know, trying to save anyone that was there and just like trying to clean up the, trying to clean up the whole area. But it was, I'll never forget seeing it in real life, in real time. It looked like a, a movie set. It looked like a scene out of a movie. It was it was insane, just the 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 
the rubble and just the destruction that this called. It was just overwhelmingly unbelievable. It looked like a movie set. It felt like you were just like watching a big movie in three D. It looked so unreal, uh, so unreal. Yeah, it was October fourteenth. You guys were in New York City, so a little a month, a little over a month after. So, yeah, that's quick turnaround there for you guys yeah. to be there. But clearly, and, very impressionable and, on you. And I also remember uh, Chris Canyon knew some people there. Yeah. And, and me, him, and Shane, we went down to uh, a couple other weird levels and saw some just, I mean, it, it, I, I do remember this, even a month later, once again, time, I was thinking it was three weeks, but a, a month later, I remember you get, it It smelled like human flesh, still. I, I mean, it was just, it was just one of the most devastating scenes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Just overwhelming, overwhelming. Have you gone to the memorial there? I haven't. I highly, highly, highly recommend anyone going. It's it's a very difficult thing, but it's beautiful. I mean, they really did such a tremendous tribute for all the victims and people associated with it. The museum, it, it took me 20 years to go back to the side of Ground Zero. I, I didn't go back to Ground Zero until 2021. And I went there and I did the museum and it is heartbreaking. It's very difficult, but it's beautiful. It's really tremendously well done. And the reflection pools out there, it's just they, they did a fantastic job. So I highly recommend if you ever find time in New York City, absolutely make time to do that. Whether you or anyone listening to this, definitely worth time to do there uh, but yes uh, thank you matt for sharing all this stuff here on the extreme life of matt hardy i always appreciate you talking about difficult things and i know it's not easy for you especially this time of the night after the day you've had so thank you for that uh, anyone who's listening in we encourage you to join our team advertise with hardy.com promote your business to the extreme get it out in front of thousands of listeners and viewers every single week on the extreme life of matt hardy we'll try to bring some more smiles next week here on the extreme life i know it's been a couple heavy topics is there anything else you'd like to add man no i uh, i'm good this was fun to look back and revisit these uh these particular times as uh as sad and as tough they were it's always always interesting to, to kind of uh thumb back through these times and all the memories a little cathartic a, too you know it is it is cathartic and, and it's also just one of those things it's just very very vivid memories and like you said things are the things that are embedded in your mind and in your soul for the rest of your lives very much so we appreciate all you guys listening to the extreme life of matt hardy the words have been spoken we'll see you next week